For over 45 years, Pensacola Christian College has set aside some time each spring semester for Bible conference. These days of concentrated study and preaching from the Word of God are a time of spiritual enrichment for our students, faculty and staff, and many others who join us for these services. We're pleased to welcome you to the PCC Bible Conference. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to come to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 again. And also, we'll be taking our text from Romans chapter 15. So if you'll start with me in Romans chapter 1, I am so thankful for the opportunity to be here with these other pastors on the campus. And I've been made very welcome by many of you students. I want to say thank you to you for that. Also, the privilege to come with my wife, travel with my wife. I'm very thankful the Lord's given me a wonderful lady who helped me to see that I needed to put the accordion down. And I need to apologize because last night I told a lie. I said that Ariel, my daughter, said something negative about me playing. She was very kind. Um, She did not say anything negative. I made that up because I was so ashamed that I played the accordion. (laughs) Romans chapter 1, let me read verse number 16 again. And then we'll go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So thankful for the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Last night, we skipped over the small phrase at the end of verse 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That phrase can be misunderstood. I submit to you this morning that that phrase is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. And some would say that in order for you to take the gospel to the world, you must take it to the Jews first It is descriptive. In other words, that's how it happened. For those who are in Papua New Guinea, it would be illogical, perhaps even foolish, for me to teach our young men that are training in the ministry that they need to go find a Jewish person that they can take the gospel to first so that then they can take the gospel to others. It is descriptive. That's how it happened. In order of chronology, The gospel went to the Jews first, and you might remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and 3,000 put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ there at the day of Pentecost, and then from there the gospel went out following after what Christ had commanded in uh, the day of His ascension. Acts chapter 1, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. After after that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and, and you will be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria in the uttermost part of the earth. And today, you and I sit here at the uttermost part of the earth, having received the gospel. The gospel went to the Jews first, and then it has also been going on to the Gentiles. And that uttermost part of the earth, so often we tend to think in terms of, oh, that must be at the deepest, darkest jungles of Papua New Guinea and places like that. But I submit to you, it is all over the earth that are those uttermost places from Jerusalem, like Zimbabwe and the Philippines and Fiji and Canada and the United States. Here we sit, recipients of the gospel, 
it went to the Jews first. With that thought in mind, come now to Romans chapter 15. I'd like to focus the remainder of our time in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 down to verse 12. And I want to see why it was that the gospel went to the Jews first. The gospel went to the Jews. God sent the Lord Jesus, as it says in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 8. I'll read that for us, verse number 8 and verse number 9, Romans chapter 15, verse number 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Very clear, two reasons that I see that Christ came to the Jews first. We could summarize those two sentences. We could summarize them that way. I say, you see it in verse 8, I say that Jesus was a minister of the circumcision to the Jews for the truth of God, carrying the gospel. Two reasons, first one, at the end of verse 8, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and, verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. That's the outline, and I plan on walking through those two with you in our time together this morning. So why was the gospel taken to the Jews first? It was first, as you see in verse number 8, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And it's important for us to remember that God always keeps His promises. Always. And you can walk through the Old Testament and you can see promise after promise that God made. You start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 to Adam on the day that Adam fell and in the midst of all the curses that were placed upon him, God made a promise, I will send one who will bruise the head of the serpent. We need that one. That's Jesus. And the promise was made in the garden. And then you come forward to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and we see God making a promise to Abraham, the first of the fathers to the Jews. And He said, I, in you will all the people of the earth be blessed. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. And so Jesus, the fulfillment of that prophecy. And then to David, he makes another promise. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I will set up thy seed after thee, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Thy throne shall be established forever. David, you don't deserve this, but God gives this promise that he will send a son through your lineage, and he will establish a throne, and that throne will be forever. For every king ever to sit on a throne on the earth, his hope and his dream is that he will have a lineage that will continue on long after him. Saul never got it. That would be David's dream. And every other king that ever sat on a throne, it would be their dream, and God gave it to David. David, you will have one who will sit on your throne, and he will establish the throne forever. And then to Isaiah, the promise that was given through Isaiah, and listen to the words in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then he makes this statement, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. Of the increase of his government there will be no end. Oh, I long for the day when the Lord Jesus will set up his government. Oh, we think we have problems 
Think of the way that one administration comes in and undoes what the previous administration had done. And then you just think, well, this is only for a few years and then the next administration will come in and do what they want to do. And the increase of the government of the Prince of Peace, there will be no end of His increase forever and ever upon that throne. And then the one thing that always will cause problems for an increase government is outside regimes and reigns who would want to knock down that increasing government instead of him just having increasing government with threat of others he has increasing government along with increasing peace oh I long for the day when he sets up that kingdom He says, why did Jesus take the gospel, bring the gospel to the Jews first to condemn, uh, sorry, to confirm the promises of the fathers? And friend, no matter how hard you try, you cannot keep all of your promises. Maybe it's a simple promise. You promised that you would pick her up in front of her dorm at 8.15, Something happened and you didn't make it at 8.15 and she just can't figure out why. (laughs) Or maybe your dad, when you were in school, your dad promised, when I get off work, we'll go to the fair together. But then something happened. He had to work late. The car broke down. Traffic was atrocious. No matter what, you cannot always keep all of your promises. But aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father, who is sovereign over all things and He is omniscient and knows all things and ordains the way that things work throughout this universe, our Heavenly Father always keeps His promises. And here in this passage, Jesus came to confirm the promises to the fathers. But then also, it says in verse 9, there was a second reason that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. In other words, God was doing this work for the Jewish people, but while He was doing this work for the Jewish people, He had more than just the Jewish people in mind. There's a problem in that day, and Paul is addressing it directly at that time. The problem in that day was that a lot of those Jewish people thought that God only cared about Jewish people. In fact, earlier in the book of Romans, he addressed that. Some of you, he's speaking of the Jewish people, some of you think that God blesses you simply because you're the children of Abraham. You can live as you want and not have any kind of relationship with God and that God will just give you a free pass because you came of the right lineage. He says, hang on a second, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we're not careful, I think that we in our own version of tribalism will end up subscribing to that same type of mentality that God only likes my kind of people. That has been shown many times throughout history. It wasn't just in the first century with the Jewish people. It's also been repeated many times. And I think that we could most recently in recent history be able to toss glimpses to the early 1800s of Americans in the South, even some who were Christians, that acted one way and namely, and I'll just go ahead and put a face to it, acting as if some people didn't even have souls, thinking God only works with my kind of people. 
Or here, we'll put an uglier face on it in the late 1930s in Germany. You see, God is not ethnocentric. It's a kind way of saying God's not racist. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all of us. And He's not just about my kind of people. You see, my salvation is an opportunity for Him to receive greater glory. So in Jesus coming to deal with Jewish people, God had in His mind and in His plan, He's going to use this to draw the Gentiles. Hear the words in verse number 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. The Gentiles are looking at God and seeing God as glorious. We are lifting up the glory of God because of the way that God sent Jesus as a Jewish man to die on the cross at the hands of the Roman soldiers, but ultimately at the condemnation of the Jewish people. And we have the opportunity to look at that and glorify God for it. You see, our salvation is ultimately for the glorification of God. We raise His name and we look at Him. And then Paul is going to take the next few verses and he's going to give us four Old Testament references to prove this point. Look at the rest of verse 9 with me. There's a progression that happens through these verses and I want you to just bear with me and follow through with me as we walk through them. Look at verse number 9. As it is written, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He says, hey, back in the Old Testament... It's been saying this all along. This isn't a brand new thing. As it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So this is a quote. It's a quote of David, and it comes from two different places. 2 Samuel chapter 22 and Psalm chapter 18. 2 Samuel 22 verse 50, Psalm chapter 18 verse 49. And I'll just leave this for you to make note of and maybe go back and compare at another time. Those two chapters almost mirror each other. And if you notice that the one is found in verse 50, the other one is found in verse 49, uh, they almost mirror each other, those two chapters. And, And those two chapters say things like, he is my shield and he is my buckler, he is my fortress, is lifting up the name of God. And in this verse here in chapter 15 and verse number 9, notice the word that is used, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and I'll sing unto thy name, among the Gentiles. I'm singing unto your name, and I'm giving glory to you, Lord, and I'm doing it among the Gentiles. So that makes me to wonder what was going on in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and what was going on in Psalm 18. And the story there is that David had just escaped from the hand of Saul. And if you remember when David escaped, do you remember where he ran to? He went and hid among the Philistines. And there he is with the Philistines, and he writes, you are my buckler, you are my shield, you are my fortress, you are my strength, and he is magnifying, glorifying God, and he's doing it among the Gentiles. I can just imagine on that day, perhaps the Philistines were looking at David, we don't understand this whole God took care of you thing, but we see you rejoicing And he's rejoicing among them. I told you there's a progression here. Look now at verse number 10. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. 
And that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 43, and that quote is of Moses. You remember Moses in the book of Deuteronomy was the second giving of the law, and this is Moses at the end of his days, and he's saying things like, hey, follow the Lord and follow His law, and there will be many blessings that will come upon our people, but if you turn your back on God, He will send destruction upon His people to draw them back to Himself. Notice the words that are used here in verse 10. Rejoice, you Gentiles, with His people. So the last one was rejoice His people among the Gentiles. Now we have rejoice, you Gentiles, with His people. My mind is... My, my mind has a tendency to think in terms of in the Old Testament that the Jews were the good guys and the Gentiles were the bad guys. I don't know, maybe your mind does the same thing. But as I meditated upon this passage and meditate on these words, Gentiles rejoice with His people. And that quote that Moses gave from Deuteronomy 32, why? Why would Gentiles rejoice with Israel. Why would they do that? And I think that I can find an example of it. In 2 Kings chapter 19, the story was repeated in Isaiah as the nation of Assyria came to surround Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king at the time. You remember that? The thing that God commended Hezekiah about in fact, Rabshika from Assyria said, whatever you do, don't put your trust in Egypt. And instead of turning to Egypt, Hezekiah turned to God. And God said, because you turned to me, instead of putting your trust in the horses of Egypt, I will honor your prayer. And in the day that King Sennacherib and the mighty army of Assyria, 185,000 of them, were killed in one night by the angel of the Lord, in that next morning, as word went out to the rest of the Gentile nations, the people of Egypt, do you know what they did? They rejoiced. They said, the God of Israel has run away that enemy nation of Assyria. And in that moment, the Gentiles rejoiced with God's people. You know why? Because God had defeated a common enemy. Can I just make that as clear and as practical? I'm not going to wait to verse 12 to run to this. Let me run straight to the cross right here. At the cross, our heavenly Father defeated a common enemy. Oh, friends, rejoice, O oh Gentiles. I submit this morning the majority of us are Gentiles. Rejoice with His people, for our common enemy was slain at the cross. Oh, sin and hell and the grave has been defeated because of the Calvary, because of the gospel, so we Gentiles can rejoice with his people. Then the third one in verse number 11, another Old Testament quote, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him. 
Praise him with high praises. That's the word laud. Laud him, all you people. This is a quote that comes from Psalm 117, the shortest chapter in all of the Bible. David, again, here being quoted, and he says, all of you Gentiles, laud him, praise him with high praises. And what he doesn't quote in this chapter, Romans 15, but what is the rest of Psalm 117 in verse number 2 tells us why it is that we praise him. And I believe that those people in that day would have automatically thought of this. Here's what Psalm 117 verse 2 goes on to say, why do we praise him for his merciful kindness toward us? We did not deserve his mercy. Why did Christ come? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he come among the Jews so that he can fulfill the promises to their fathers? But that so you and I as Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. So laud him. Rejoice with his people. And then in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. This quote comes from Isaiah chapter 11 in verse number 10. And that entire Isaiah 11 passage is just an amazing progression. It starts in Isaiah 11 in verse number 1 that says something like, There shall come forth a rod out of the out of the stem of Jesse. The picture in my mind is that there is this dead stump. By the way, the time that, by the time that the Lord Jesus is born in a manger in Bethlehem, things are looking pretty grim for the nation of Israel. And there, in my mind, Isaiah 11.1 1 is a stump and a twig coming out of the side of it. Makes me think also of Isaiah 53 and verse 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. But then out of that dead stump, the twig coming off of the side of that dead stump grows to be a mighty branch. So that the quote that we see here in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 10 says this and is quoted again in Romans chapter 15 and verse 12. Here's Isaiah 11:10. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. The picture from a little stump with a little twig coming off the side. He has grown into a mighty tree. We'll use that image first. A mighty tree to which you and I, the Gentiles, can run. And when we run to Him, we find Him to be glorious. And we lift up His name. For the more of us that are lifting up His name, the more glorious He becomes. And the more different backgrounds that we come from, the more glorious He becomes. Not everything you love is loved across every culture. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you love coffee? My Kamea people that I lived among for 11 years grew coffee. They They can't stand what it tastes like. Coffee does not transcend culture. But the glorious gospel 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation transcends every culture, and in it shall all the Gentiles of the entire world, all of us can come and trust in it. And I love the other picture that Isaiah throws in, in Isaiah chapter 11, the quote that's being used here, and it's in Isaiah 11, hear the words here, that there shall come a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign. Ensign. It's the picture of a banner. You can think back with your mind's eye to an ancient battlefield. And on one side you have the army with all of their spears and their bows, and on the other side they have their, 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 their shields, and each side has their banner. They have their ensign. And when, if you were to find yourself on that battlefield, the closer you get to that ensign, the more you're going to be afraid because you see that banner represents their strength and oh, his power is mighty. And it would be natural for me to think that the closer that I get to his banner, the closer I get to the signal of his strength, the more I should fear. But that's not what happens. The closer I get to him, the more the Gentiles shall trust You see, he conquers us, not in body, in battle. When we talk about the power of someone or the power of a nation, we think of the way that they can crush their enemies. And instead, our Heavenly Father wins us over with his love, and he draws us in with the gospel. He says, here, look at what I've done with my son to take care of your sin, so that instead of me crushing you, I crushed him. And I give you the opportunity to come in and trust, and we come Come into his, make the first picture, come into his mighty tree, or come to the second picture. I come and I hold fast to his ensign. I love the gospel. I've been drawn close to him. In him shall the Gentiles trust. And God, by the way, has been calling people all throughout the Old Testament. Don't think that he shifted gears when he got to the New Testament. He sent Jonah to Nineveh the capital city of the enemy of Israel, so that they could repent and come to God. He had Obadiah write an entire Old Testament book to the people of Edom. You see, God has been caring about the people of the world. So Christ came to the Jew first, and he could fulfill the promises to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, the glory of God is infinite already. So when we talk about glorifying God, His glory is already infinite. And yet, when we carry His gospel to others and show others His glory, we get the opportunity to glorify God. We don't make His glory greater, but we expose His His glory more. I'll illustrate this and I'll be finished. I had the amazing privilege for 10 years to be a missionary pilot in Papua New Guinea, and the Lord gave me 2,000 flights all over the nation, accident-free. I'm so thankful for that. Where we were based was a three-day walk to the nearest road we could make that same trip in the airplane in 13 minutes. 
unbelievable terrain there. I get to fly over some of the most gorgeous places in the world. Whenever I had a new passenger that would come along, somebody that I loved and knew, maybe a pastor, somebody I've been training, they were getting ready to go on a trip with me to in a direction that they'd never been. I always wanted to show them something. There were three different things in our area that I would try to show them. If I was flying to the north and we were headed to the north, I would fly over the Marawaka Gap, this 9,000-foot elevation, and just before we would reach the, the Marawaka Gap, off to the right-hand side, we called it Stinky Mountain. It was a dormant volcano, and it gave off a smell of sulfur. So when you flew, ba- flew by, I always made the guy sitting next to me feel like it was him that was making the smell. Uh, but, the, but as we would fly by, there was a, a caldera, at the top of that, you have to fly by it in order to see it. Nobody lives up at that elevation, and you can only see it as you fly by. Another thing that I I like to do, if we were flying off to the southeast, there was a place where the river, south of Kaintiba, the the river would disappear into the ground, limestone karst formations. The river would just literally just disappear, be gone. It'd be flowing underground for several hundred yards, and then it would reappear downriver and come out. And, and I, I many times fly over, and hey, have you ever seen a river disappear? Of course you haven't. Let me show you. Nobody lives in that area. It's amazing. One other one, south of Kamina, if I was flying to the south-southwest, there was a waterfall that was there. That waterfall is the Wena River, and actually where we lived, the Wena River was right behind our house. The Wena River's probably 30 at that point behind our house, probably 30, 40 feet across. So it's a decent-sized river. And then it goes downriver, and it empties into the Towery. And where that waterfall cascades over, it doesn't hit rocks on the way down. It's several hundred feet, and it just falls straight down. It's a mist by the time it hits the bottom, and certain times of day you can see a rainbow through it. It's absolutely beautiful. A difficult part of seeing it is it sits up inside of a valley. There's a gorge there, and so you can only see it from one angle. You have to come by at one angle to be able to see it, and, and very few people have ever seen it. As I would do those trips, you know what I was doing? I was showing off the glory of each one of those formations the handiwork of God on the planet. Those, do you realize that that karst formation, that caldera, that waterfall, those exist. They continue on today. They don't get any better. They don't get any worse day to day. I haven't flown by them in three, four years now. They're just there. Their glory is there. Their glory is as full as it possibly will be. But somebody has to come by and look at it to appreciate it. And that's what I've been hoping to do this morning. The glory of God is already infinite. It will not get any more. It will not be diminished. His glory is infinite. And one day we will more fully appreciate that. But in the meantime, may I encourage you to take moments, take folks along with you, take moments for yourself and your devotions. Glorify God for His mercy. You've been listening to a Bible conference message from Pensacola Christian College. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.